welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove. I'm back from Boston and I'm joined by a man who's back from Seattle. We're together again. Indeed. His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello. It didn't seem like that big of a deal, but now that I think about it, when's the last time we were in studio together? Before I went to Boston and you went to Seattle. Yeah, it was last week. Was it? Uh, yeah. I couldn't remember if we were in studio together last week or not. It's been a week. Okay, cool. Yeah, All right. Then I feel better. It's been a week. It's uh, been? It has been. Yeah, it's been. <laughs> so we're going to talk uh, USA Canada, mm-hmm. obviously, uh, today. Uh, but first, you're in Seattle for MLS Cup. I were. I was in Boston for the um, the clinical trial treatment that I've been on. I just wanted to start the show. Share. Mine was more fun, but yours is maybe better news. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> mine had a happier event. In yeah. The middle. yeah. So basically, we got some results from the clinical trial I've been doing, um, some scans, and it's good news. It's showing uh, a good reduction in the size of the tumors, which basically means the clinical trial is is working. In your face tumors, so far. If they have faces, if they do, that's a problem. I don't want face tumors. They should not have faces. <laughs> the, the I'm re- no doctor. The reason I want to share this is I haven't like mm-hmm. mentioned it a while for a yeah. while on the show because we didn't know if anything was successful mm-hmm. or not. This is the first feedback. Yep. Um, but also because you know the, the money that I'm using to travel to Boston every two weeks is the money from the GoFundMe, which a lot of our listeners contributed to. Mm-hmm. So I want to let people know that it was money well spent. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was, definitely, in the sense that uh, things are working, things are shrinking. Yeah. Uh, that definitely seems like money well spent. Yes. Yeah. So I want to say thank you, as well, again, to everybody who contributed to the GoFundMe, because that's mm-hmm. literally what's allowed me to uh, travel to Boston, pay for some stuff. Some stuff is covered by the trial, and mm-hmm. then pay for accommodation and yeah. flights and all that, all that kind of you stuff. You do look, I think, the healthiest I've seen you look in quite some time. There's definitely a period when your arms were skinny enough that it seemed like, maybe don't like pat him on the shoulder too hard or something might break. <laughs> John Brooks style breakable. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I did start calling you Mr. Glass for a period of time, yes. <laughs> All right, so I just wanted to share that with listeners before we, uh, before we get down to mm-hmm. business. Um, hopefully more good news on the way this week in the shape of the USA not going out in the group stage of the CONCACAF Nations League. Yes. Uh, I do want to say one more thing about Seattle. It's kind of weird to say. Yeah. Um, but Daryl like, basically chose not to go to Seattle because he had been to Boston. Then straight from Boston, he went to Germany. We get back from Germany. Yeah. Then you're in Boston again. Then you're uh, going home yeah. uh, to England for a little bit of time. So I think you did the math and realized you would have been like, like able to see your wife for, like two nights in like a month and a half yeah, or it something been a like long that. Time gone. Yeah. Right. So so it wasn't necessarily health reasons. And I say that just because there was definitely a weird thing. It was really great to get to hang out with Joe Lowry and, and meet him one on one and interact and record. <laughs> Did it look like you'd replace me? Like a, a younger, prettier glasses person. <laughs> <laughs> like a glasses person. Yes. I like a younger, bespectacled person who likes <laughs> tactics and asking uh, difficult questions of managers. <laughs> just sort of like like that's right. This is my younger model. <laughs> this is a midlife podla- podcast crisis. <laughs> and I drove here in a red Ferrari. So there you go. <laughs> I like to think you reinforced that narrative everywhere you went. <laughs> of course. Of course. I did not. Have you met my second no, one? No. Instead, it was <laughs> my, my second podcast. Uh, yeah. Well, I guess we don't. he doesn't uh, come to the studio, so I can't claim to be podcast right. or common law married. You with don't cohabitate. No, I do not. <laughs> but with you, I do. <laughs> You're still my number one. Don't worry. That's good to know. For now. <laughs> well, for now. <laughs> well, we're cohabitating right now. We're going to talk USA-Canada. Mm-hmm. But first, I guess we've got to talk about Ernie Stewart. Because I, I suppose we must. A couple of days ago, Ernie Stewart um, essentially – Just starting off with optimistic topics right here. Called a press conference, yep. right? But only of select journalists, mm-hmm. what we could call sort of the tier one inner circle. Yeah. Journalists. Like we're invited on a lot of press calls. We weren't invited on this one. Yeah, whenever like we're uh, doing U.S. national team post-match press conferences, 
it, it was the journalists who were like, oh, we're going to have Grant and then Steve and then Doug and then the bearded guy. Like that's usually <laughs> my level. I you think. would not have been included in that first round. No, I definitely yeah. would not. Like, and then other questions after that. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I get other questions and I get uh, in the front row, the, the weird looking one. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, Ernest Stewart called this press conference. Mm-hmm. The sort of basically senior journalists were yep. all on it. And uh, uh, Ernie Stewart made clear that, one, uh, Greg Berhalter's job is not on the line mm-hmm. with the result against Canada. Like, if we, basically, if we lose against Canada, I'm not going to fire Greg Berhalter, right? Um, here's the actual quote. Um, quote, we're looking at the future. So when I evaluate Greg and the staff, what I've seen today, I'm a pleased man. An individual result is not going to change that, mm-hmm. right? So Ernie Stewart just basically, from what I can tell, called this press conference, wanted to get the message out that Berhalter is not on the hot seat, right? This result is important, but he's not on the hot seat. We're not firing him if we don't beat Canada. Right. Which I think we, you and I kind of assumed. We could have guessed. Uh, Yeah. I I, I think I definitely buy into the narrative that the only way uh, Greg Berhalter is not going to be allowed to see out his contract is if the United States really seems to struggle in World Cup qualifying. Similar to what happened with Jurgen Klinsmann. Yeah, if we were a couple games in, it was looking like, oh no, Mm -hmm. it's happening again. (laughs) That's maybe when they would uh, have have to fire Greg Berhalter when World Cup qualifications on the line. With that said, I still don't think this was a particularly adept move from Ernie Stewart. I I half agree. Okay. I think it was the right move to back Greg Berhalter. It was the right move to sort of make clear that like we're committed to seeing this through, this kind of style of play experiment to see where it goes. But the phrasing that Ernie Stewart used didn't necessarily get the message across in a good way. Yeah, I mean, I, like I, I said this off air, but I'll repeat it on here. Like it, the best way I can explain it is like aspects of that press conference felt like Frank Costanza calling a press conference to then air his grievances festive <laughs> style. That it was like, I'm yeah. going to have a press conference to explain some things. And what I'm going to explain is that you're all wrong and Greg Berhalter's great and I'm not going to fire him and he's doing fine. <laughs> and it was just sort of like, oh, okay, I guess. And, and so I'm oversimplifying, I know, and I'm making it more dramatic. It's just that with the way things are, with the fan base, he with did US set soccer, up an aluminum pole. W- that was interesting. <laughs> I was really excited to see where that was going to go. There was going to be some feats of strength. I would back <laughs> yeah. him against some of those journalists, not all of them. <laughs> um, but it's just with the way things are, like I get wanting to come out and say, I'm backing the manager. Yes. I'm sticking with him. Yeah. I'm still confused because – as we've heard, um, Brad Friedel talks about this. Like U.S. press corps, U.S. public is not so rabid that like I, I don't think anyone really thought like oh they're going to fire Burhalter if this doesn't go well. Mm-hmm. Like yes, fans might think that. I, I, you could talk to most reporters. I think they all would have said like no. So and there were no articles being written about or that I could see about like this is it for Burhalter. So yeah. why Ernie Stewart came out as he did, I don't fully get aside from I want to back I my hire. He's kind of probably been on Twitter, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I'm not saying that he was responding just to the all the Berhalter out stuff on Twitter, because Twitter can be a bit of an echo chamber. Um, but I think when you also see the poor ticket sales, I'm not mm. sure where they are right now, but at one point, a few days ago, only 8,000 tickets had been sold in Orlando mm-hmm. for this USAV Canada game. We've heard from people who are saying, I'm not going to watch this game. I've had it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So I think they see um, the frustration of fans, which... Um, kind of hurts the bottom line and also, you know, is not in Ernie Stewart's interest to have people not wanting to watch the national team. Mm -hmm. So I think he did want to sort of get out ahead of this and say, hey, there's no point hoping for the US to lose. We're not going to fire Berhalter if we lose. Like, I I hope I'm not just like going down the same path here, but I guess like I would like to have this conversation more fully because like that confuses me though. Is like, but what's the point of that? Like if everybody's upset, if he feels like, oh, I've seen people on Twitter, we've gotten emails, we've gotten messages, people aren't very happy. So I'm going to come out and say like, one result doesn't matter okay so then people are like well it's been 11 months and we haven't loved all the results why are you saying what like it just felt like some of his answers lent lent themselves to being 
like blown up on Twitter, almost to the extent of like it reminded me of a manager blaming the officials when the game went poorly, so that that's yeah. the talking point. And I just don't like if your goal is to back Burhalter, like, but then also deal with like negative ticket sales. I, think I don't he, see how those two things. I think work together. if I was only Stewart, if I was advising U.S. Soccer, uh-huh. I would have said go and essentially not just say that like. Um, I'm a pleased man. Yeah. Um, I would really make the pitch for mm-hmm. what I think is happening, which is we've committed to this style of play. Right. It takes a long time to implement this style mm-hmm. of play. Um, let's you know, let's like see the experiment through and see where it goes. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not over yet. Concacaf Nations League isn't over yet. Uh, World Cup qualifying hasn't even started. Let's like give this give this style of play a chance. I right. think it should have been more of a more of a salesman thing yeah. rather than an airing of grievances kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree with that entirely because, like, as an example, to say, like, well, there's been one bad result. Like, it, like, what, what are you talking about? Uh, he, he had the thing about, like, like, like one bad game isn't going to, like, sway us from our An uh, individual result is not going to change. Right. That. But I think that's fair to say. He's essentially saying, I'm not going to fire him after the, if he loses this Canada game. Well, right? I think he's talking about the Canada game they lost. That no, was no, how I read that one. We're looking at the future. So mm-hmm. when I evaluate Greg and the staff, what I've seen today, I'm a pleased man. An individual result is not going to change that. That's in response to the idea that... The question Behal- of, okay. That, um, is Berhalter's job in danger if he, lose, if he doesn't win this game against Canada in Orlando? I, right? I, and so so, that, but this is the problem is that i think phrases like that can get um misinterpreted or people can start like taking it out of context and arguing with it um in a way that's not how Ernie stewart meant it what yes but i would extend it further to like because it wasn't a prepared remark it was answering reporters question now that you've explained that like yes the question was if he loses this game are you going to fire greg berhalter that answer makes way more sense that's what i'm assuming by the way i'm assuming that this was answering the journalist questions as opposed to calling these journalists up and saying like here's my prepared statement but I, if this was a prepared statement, mm-hmm. it should have been better prepared. But I 100% <laughs> read that, I'm like truthfully, as he was saying that Canada loss isn't enough to freak us out. Let me ask because you this, there was so you, much response to that of being like, only one result? What are you talking you, about? I want to ask you this. Mm-hmm. Did you read the like uh, quotes from Ernie Stewart and then have that reaction? Or did you read the responses on Twitter? No, I read the, I read the three responded? tweets from Stephen Goff. Okay, you see, it wasn't mm-hmm. like you were like echoing what no. you'd seen from other people. Okay. No, because like I, I know people are are frustrated, and we have found that if you we try to not read Twitter during games because yeah. we'll be thinking like, oh, this is happening, and then we'll see five people say this is terrible, and suddenly we start watching the game from that perspective, trying to figure out if that's actually happening, yeah. and it changes the way things are. So for me, reading a bunch of like, no, this is terrible, this is bad, this is bad, this is terrible, that doesn't really help me. But those were the things that jumped out to me from that interview because I definitely read that as like, oh he's saying we're not so worried about this one result which in my mind meant that's the only result that they have found particularly problematic whereas you're right that it probably was responding to a question about what happens if you lose yeah so that makes more sense i I get that as well i still don't love the no matter what essentially aspect of things i think there's also probably some elasticity to that right if we lose 20 nil Mm -hmm. probably better gets fired you know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah, but an absolute is an absolute. Yeah, uh, you know, and like, but that's why I think we can overinterpret these things. Mm-hmm. Th- there is a performance against Canada that gets Greg Berhalter to fight. All right, philosophical again here, but like, if you're holding a press conference to explain why you're backing the manager, aren't you sort of inviting scrutiny and a level of detail in what you're saying that it then needs to be very well said? Because otherwise, if you're going to go out and hold a press conference, I would argue yes, the press is going to report what you said, and if. It's easily taken out of context, or you misstate something, or you that's why say this, an absolute. That's why this stuff is hard, and you, right. have, to be, you have to be careful what you say. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh. And, and that is, I think, at its core, a big part of my frustration with this, is that it doesn't feel careful to me. Mm-hmm. It feels like sort of a, well, I want to back Burhalter, but I also want people to like 
understand we're listening to their concerns, but simultaneously say, like, some of your concerns aren't fair. Yeah. Like, it just felt like there was too many it things been, going on with it this. It should have been more of a plea as well. Maybe mm-hmm. it should have been a plea to fans, like, hey, give this time. He hasn't even been in the job a year, mm-hmm. right? We haven't lost to Canada and not finished top of the CONCACAF Nations League group yet, yeah. right? You know, there should have been maybe more of a, an appeal to get behind the team. Because, I mean, I'm a believer in this. If, if this experiment with a new style of play mm-hmm. works then it will be kind of glorious, mm-hmm. right? And I'd say the results of the experiment aren't in yet. The, uh, some of the data, like maybe the, res- the results and performance away to Canada was not encouraging, mm-hmm. but the experiment's not over yet. So no. like, let's, let's withhold judgment until we have more data, basically. Yeah. yeah, and maybe they should hire you to give these press conferences because like, I think that would have gone a long way. And I, and I wrote that and I retweeted, I think uh, Dave Martinez had a whole thing about like, what he could have said that would have been just as u- or more useful and said yeah. the exact same thing. And then there were people like, well, that's not specific enough. I want this. I want that. And there's always going to be people who are frustrated by it. But I absolutely think that if, if, if it had been a more like, look, ticket sales haven't been great. We know people are frustrated. Yeah. We know this is a difficult time for U.S. soccer fans. But pro- I, like, we promise you it is difficult for us, too. And it's a thing that keeps us up every night. And yeah. we're working as hard as we can. And we know there's frustration. But it's a long-term plan. And our long-term plan is to put us in a better position than we've ever been. Mm-hmm. Like right there. That lets people feel heard and also lets people know, like, oh, they care just as much as I do. They're but, working hard to get it right. Exactly. Right? Instead of a, like, what's, come on, guys. Like, it's a Nations <laughs> League game. It doesn't really matter. It'll be fine. Like, I just think, I think I said this to you off air as well, and this will hopefully be my final point on this one, that, like, I believed U.S. soccer in the past when they said everything's fine. And when they said Klinsman knows what he's doing, we, we were like, okay, like, if you all want to do that, and we ended but up not going. But at the same time, we know now that they were thinking about firing Klinsman for a little old while, yeah. right? And if it wasn't for, say, Dan Flynn's um, yep. heart surgery, mm-hmm. they they would have fired him after the, uh, the I forgot what it's called now, the CONCACAF Cup, you know, the like the Gold Cup, mm-hmm. uh, Confederations Cup playoff game that we lost? Coulda, woulda, shoulda. Yeah. And instead, they publicly backed him. And so to me, it's like, you guys did this once. Well, and no, they, all... just, they just didn't fire him, right? I there mean, was, there was no statement of, we're, there was never a statement of we're supporting Klinsman. There was just like, this, there was the status quo until they fired. Fair, but I guess in my mind, like we were we were trusting them to to like execute the game plan such that we qualify for another World Cup. We yeah. trusted them that like everything was right, and if it's not, that they're going to take action. And I was willing to go with them yeah. until we did not qualify and they didn't take action. Uh-huh. And I mean, they did right. They lo- we lost the first two games and they replaced the coach. Yes, and then we still didn't I qualify. Suppose. Yeah, and then we had a year of interim whatever. I guess yeah. I guess all I mean to say is that my patience is is at a point now where I it feels a little fool me once. Shame yeah. on me. Shame on you, whatever. So, I, shame on you, fool me once, don't get, don't get shamed again. I'll Henry, go the George Bush route. Henry Bushnell wrote yeah. a really good story uh-huh. for Yahoo, kind of outlining this whole situation. Yeah. And it's pretty much a big part of it, if I understand it correctly, and I agree with this, is what you just said, right? Everybody feels burned uh-huh. by U.S. soccer, feels mm-hmm. that it's not well run. Um, there's the, the year in the wilderness with, mm-hmm. with Dave Sarakin. And I think because of all that, everybody's frustration is built up. Everyone's patience is very, very low. And so as a result, it's kind of Greg Berhalter's not getting the um, sympathy or leeway that a, a coach might have got in a situation where people trusted the Federation more. Yeah. So we're making Greg Berhalter pay for the sins of the Federation. Yeah, uh, which yeah. kind of isn't fair. And I think if we cut the experiment short because we're frustrated with U.S. soccer as opposed to frustrated with Greg Berhalter, I think that's a mistake. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I get that. Uh, and I want to, like, maybe this is an unfair comparison to make, but, like, and, and full disclosure, like, I like Kate Margraff. Like, she has been personally nice to us yeah. a, in, on occasion, so I want to, like, get that out of the way. But I would say, look at the way the, the women's coaching search was conducted. Kate Margraff did the women's GM. She did. Yeah. Thank you. And, uh, and 
we got stories about how like, oh, these candidates weren't considered because their clubs wouldn't allow them to be interviewed. And we had some people rule, rule themselves out early. The yeah, yeah, and I felt like we got little bits and pieces that were maybe, maybe intentionally leaked. And we got little bits and pieces of why people weren't considered. And it ended with Vlatko. And like, look at the way that was – like people responded to that. It was like, yeah, this makes a lot of sense. It's a good hire. Here yeah. are the reasons why. It's been clearly spelled out. But it's because – I think a big part of that is we – we trusted that there was a process that led to him being hired. It wasn't, uh-huh. here's our guy, and then we hired him six months later. Well, there's later. also a lot of goodwill built up around the women's national team program that because they just won hurt. the World Cup instead of just spent a year under mm. an interim coach. Yeah, but but I, I guess what I mean <laughs> is definitely true, but what I mean is more so the like transparency of that coaching search or the relative transparency of the women's coach. Yeah. Contrast that with the men's side where it was like, it was basically coaches saying, like, no, I haven't been spoken to yet, or like, oh, yeah, they did speak to me once. Yeah. Like, it, we never really got a clear idea of who was spoken to when and how yeah. many people were well, It's considered. also just about the speed of it as well, mm-hmm. right? It's happened fairly quickly, whereas there was the Sarek in the year, and then there was a few months after that before yep. – uh, so it was about a year, right, yeah. before before Behalter was, was eventually announced mm-hmm. as coach. So I guess yeah. I would, like, simultaneously more transparency and less transparency. <laughs> <laughs> Transpa- less transparency in their emotional feelings, more transparency in what they're actually doing. All right, are you ready? Um, maybe, maybe an ad read and then we'll get to talking about uh the big game i got several more points on ernie stewart no yes i I think i'm good to go i think i'm good to go (laughs) all right today's show Mm -hmm. is sponsored by fubo tv Mm -hmm. fubo tv it's so good i now use it exclusively really yeah you guys you've gone exclusive i've I've told you i I canceled you broke up with your other streaming platforms uh, well the other i had a tv provider Mm -hmm. which i won't name um who when i moved house yeah um i didn't take them with me did you do it in a public place in case they made a disturbance I should have. I should have. Should have asked them to meet me. <laughs> Just you on speakerphone with their yeah. customer service. They did try to persuade me to stay. I was of like, course hey, they did. I've already got a replacement, and their name is Fubo. <laughs> Can we discount your cable bill by five dollars? Will yeah. that do it? It will not because we have Fubo, the only soccer-focused fo- uh, TV streaming service with obvious channels like FS1, FS2, NBC Sports, BN Sports. But they've also got the other ones, the lesser, like heralded ones, but the way more important ones like TUDN, Universo, Eleven, and Goal TV. And the uh, t- TUDN Extra. Have yeah. you, uh, this is a recent-ish mm-hmm. edition. I think it's – I actually don't know the number. It's maybe 10 or so extra channels. Yeah. Um, so that rather than just TUDN showing one international game or one Champions League game, mm-hmm. then all the other games on the uh, on the extra channels. Yeah, and, uh, and looking at the schedule for the international window, international break, TUDN Extra uh, factoring into my equation on a number of occasions because like, like Friday afternoon, Bosnia v. Italy, I would watch that game. That is available on TUDN Extra okay. 6. Uh, that, that's 2.45 p.m. Uh, do you want to go through some of the games we've got coming up on? Yeah, I'll, I'll hear a couple, yeah. Uh, I've also got Northern Ireland v. Netherlands uh, Saturday afternoon at 2.45. Well, that, that one also. an upset last time, right? TUDN Extra 6. Yeah. There we go. You need the extras. Uh, Russia v. Belgium uh, is Saturday morning at 11.50, which probably means noon. That's on TU- TUDN normal. Sunday is a TUDN <laughs> kind normal. of day uh, because at 11.50, Kosovo v. England. That's TUDN. Nice. Uh, and at 5.50, Costa Rica v. Haiti. I find strangely appealing, and I don't know is why. That Nations League? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you've also got Brazil, Argentina. I've heard of those two teams. Um, I can't remember now if it's Friday or Saturday mm-hmm. um, on B. I think it was Sport. Friday. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then USA v. Canada. Um, so Fubo does oh, not. Oh, is that happening? USA v. Canada is happening Friday night. Fubo does not have ESPN as Mm-mm. part of the package, but you'll find 
pretty much any game that ESPN has um, is also on a Spanish language channel. So USAV Canada is on TUDN and mm-hmm. Unimas um, at the same time. And it could be a Friday evening TUDN kind of night because you've got USA Canada at 7, around that we think, then around 9, Panama v. Mexico. Okay. So you could watch both of those and get some hopefully good soccer. I might stick around if the US looks like they're going to be in the Big old if. Big and old if. After the international break, mm-hmm. coming up um, in, in just a little while, mm-hmm. there's the Champions League is right. back in action. Um, if you have Fubo, you get access to something which most people don't have access to. It's called Zona Football. Zona Football is essentially... Uh, I wish they just called it Zona Roja and really just made it clear what they were ripping off. It's, so I'm not familiar yeah. with this, but it's the, I've been told that there's a thing for the NFL called Red Zone, mm-hmm. where essentially they will just... It's one channel, but they will show you all the action, essentially all the touchdowns happening. Do you from know what a, Zona Roja translates to? Yes, I do. <laughs> um, happening from um, all around the league, right? <laughs> yes. So Zona Football is the same concept where you just watch one channel mm-hmm. while the Champions League stuff is happening, and they'll go to the Juventus game and somebody scored, and they'll go to the Roma game and someone scored. Are Roma in the Champions League this year? Yes. That may have been a bad example. I'm not 100% Maybe. sure. Um, so essentially they'll just like go around mm-hmm. the league, around the Champions yeah. League to where the goals are happening. I hope Red Zone has, or at least last time I watched Red Zone, had the like way over-caffeinated guy whose job was just to keep it moving through the games <laughs> and like, make sure there was some connective material. I hope they have that as well. So like, Zona Football Caffeine Plus. Yes. Just like, <laughs> and then we're going to the next game and there's been a goal. <laughs> That's what I need, Daryl. That's what I need in my life. If you need Fubo TV, I in think your life, I think I do, and I have it. But other people might just need to get it, including if you want the 500 hours of cloud DVR, which so really great. is magnificent. I want to jump in to say we, by the way, you, Daryl Grove, the genius of you, is uh, appreciated by me and Joe Lowry because we were doing the uh, MLS. Uh, MLS Cup review yeah. and a feature you pointed out is now my new favorite feature in the 88th minute I logged into Fubo and hit record so that oh and it recorded it, from it re- minute zero it recorded yeah. from minute zero so we could then go back and watch whatever we needed to despite me forgetting to DVR until the like 88th minute it's like a magnificent cheat code it really is it feels like magic Fubo it feels has. like magic <laughs> and even if you miss that it's available for uh, three days um, mm-hmm. as a replay even yeah. if you don't press record it's at amazing. all it is amazing industrial yeah. streaming and magic is um, the name of their new company I'll tell you one more thing I love about Fubo if if you do the free trial, mm-hmm. um, like everywhere else, they take your payment information when you sign up for the free trial. Unlike everywhere else, when the free trial is about to expire, they tell you, they remind you, they say, hey, your free trial is about to expire, mm-hmm. just so you know. Because a lot of other companies would give you the free trial and then sort of deliberately not remind you so that it rolls into you paying for right. it. Right. So I like, I really like the honesty from Fubo, uh, the way they do that. Um, even better, mm-hmm. if you go to fubotv.com slash TSS, you get the one week free trial, but then your first three months, if you choose to sign up, you'll get $10 off the family package. $10 off your first three months every month of the family package. If you go to fubotv.com slash TSS, the link will, of course, be in the show notes. There we are. So thank you very much to FuboTV for sponsoring today's episode and for making our lives way easier when it comes to streaming and watching <laughs> games and re-watching games. Um, we will probably be DVRing uh, the USA-Canada game. Should oh, yeah. we talk a little bit more in depth about that one? Maybe starting with Canada? Yeah, well actually, can I just set up the situation just yeah. in case people are maybe lost. So US lost to Canada it. away mm-hmm. last time out. We need to win this game if we want to progress in the CONCACAF Nations League. Right. So, a draw is not good enough uh, because Canada will finish ahead of us on points. A win is good enough. Question for you then. Yeah. Um, I mostly know the answer to this one, but like, you know, just in case some people don't, why do we need to win the Nations League? Why do we need to win the Nations League? This group. Why do we need to get out of this group? Mm -hmm. Because then we go to the semifinals Mm -hmm. to face uh, some stiff opposition, Mm -hmm. like maybe Mexico or Costa Rica. Semifinals are next June. And then what happens if we win the whole thing? 
I don't know. We get a trophy. All right. So we get a trophy. So is the idea then – I'm just – like I wanted to clarify more so like – because I think there are still people who are like, yeah, but it's a relatively meaningless game. This game doesn't really matter. I had those responses to me being frustrated with this right. press conference. I was like, yeah, who cares? And and I think there are still people who have that mentality. So when you're like, it's a must-win game. We have to win this to advance. Yeah. I'm just wondering if there's more to it aside from I mean, playing honestly, for pride, going to the next round, playing competitive I mean, games. CONCACAF Nations League, mm-hmm. it's not life or death, right? Mm-hmm. It's not the World Cup. Because if we go to the semifinals, it's just two games – next June right. but like in terms of uh, growing the US national team program getting us back on track mm-hmm. I think it's really important in terms of getting back on track that we start doing things like getting to the we should be in the best four teams in CONCACAF yeah. right we literally weren't in the hex we weren't in the best four teams which would have got us fourth place would have got us the playoff spot mm-hmm. right so this is a chance to get back to that level of being in the top four teams in CONCACAF and then if things are looking good by June 2020, maybe being the top team in CONCACAF mm-hmm. once again. Right. That's why it's important. It's a like proof of concept. Um, everybody can start feeling better about the national team. And I'm assuming it also factors into actual qualifying where you fit into the qualifying schedule. Yeah, well, I think for the World Cup, for World mm-hmm. Cup qualifying, I yeah. think the US will make the hex anyway as one of the mm-hmm. top six ranked teams. Canada are trying to make the top six, which is what made them makes them kind of so... Uh, competitive in terms of uh, motivation. Right. Yeah. Well, with that in mind, given that we've heard that Canada have already played the most important game of their lives, how will they follow that up against <laughs> oh, what I assume is that. the second most important game of their lives? Yeah, Belhata said that in today's press conference, right? Yeah. That one of the reasons they lost away was that Canada were playing the most important game of their lives. I, I mean, starting a game for Bayern Munich is probably kind of an important game well, for Alfonso Davies. Well, he meant Davis. the Canadian... See, you're, you're deliberately <laughs> taking it out of context, right? He meant the Canadian national team, not Alfonso Davies. Yes. Yeah. I suppose that's yeah, true. you know it. Yeah. Um, here's what we know about Canada. Hmm. Um, in that game, uh, when we traveled to uh, BMO Field. Uh, Canada, Canada's coach John Herdman played a 4-2-2-2, mm-hmm. a box midfield, massively outnumbered our two-man central midfield of what, Michael Bradley and Christian Roldan, yeah. um, and absolutely took us apart tactically. Mm-hmm. That is what happened up in Canada. Yep. Oy. Um, we learned maybe, we knew this before, but the, the players to watch, mm-hmm. the players worth watching are, of course, Alfonso Davis, who has been him. starting at left back for Bayern Munich. He started up front in that game when we went, when we went up to Canada. Mm-hmm. So I have no idea where he's going to play. I don't either. I, I do think we'll probably see something approximating what we saw in Canada, but more defensive. I think Greg Berhalter's uh, sort of expecting that as well. We heard him in his uh, pregame press conference uh, today talking about we expect them to be a bit more defensive. Yeah. They only needed tie. Yeah. He said tie. That's why it stood out. Uh, <laughs> we like we need more than that. So I think he's expecting them to s- sit deep and counter. And if that is something they do, if they try to sit off and frustrate, my assumption is we probably still see Jonathan David and Alfonso Davies deployed as sort of the outlets, like a la Leicester City a little bit, like two very fast, threatening strikers that they can kind of keep high and maybe spread wide a little bit. Yeah. Or just they kind can of chase balls into the channel they can chase balls wide exactly right? yeah. exactly so i think that i think we'll still see him deployed further up the field as opposed to further I, wide certainly not at left back i think in the gold cup against mexico i want to say they played a, a back five mm-hmm. and play, i have seen definitely listed a 5-4-1 with alfonso davis as like the left wing back mm-hmm. there's a chance that canada go to orlando and are just like all right the new challenge because the 4-2-2-2 was new mm-hmm. right it was like a, a thing that herdman had designed specifically for the u.s this might i mean if he's super smart like maybe he has a next move for the away game, which is like a really compact 5-4-1 that's really hard to break down, but then hits us on the counter with Jonathan David up front and Alfonso Davies joining the attack from left wing back. It's, mm-hmm. it's entirely possible that we don't see the exact same formation. Yes. That said, I also think it might be foolish to, to change it if you're Canada. I think... Okay, yeah, there's it, that argument too. It works. This, this is happening on a Canadian podcast somewhere. They're having this debate yeah. about how they should approach this game. Right? They are. But, uh, but I like... 
despite what Greg Berhalter says, I don't think of Toronto as being this foreign wilderness that's incredibly difficult for players to adapt to playing in. Again, some of your U.S. players play there for a living. Yeah. Um, and so like, it's not as though it's a Champions League home and away sort of situation. If anything, as we've already talked about, I don't know how much of a like rip-roaring atmosphere there's going to be in Orlando. I'll be so, interested to see how much support there is for the U.S. team yeah. versus like a folding my arms mm-hmm. like... Show, show me, entertain yeah. me, and yeah. and so like and with everything we've seen from Greg Berhalter, I think if you're a Canadian coach and you've been watching the U.S., you're not going to expect him to really deviate from his plan too much. And it was a plan that was essentially like overwhelmed by a Canada team that yeah. lost their starting holding midfielder. What 14 minutes into the game yeah, or something Mark like Anthony that? K was replaced by Liam yeah. Fraser, and the the system was so good that Fraser could just slot in and yeah. Do it. So yeah. I almost think that it makes sense to kind of do the exact same thing yeah. and sort of challenge the United States to find a way through in a way that they could not uh, in the home leg. I will say I hope that's what Canada do because I would like the um, opportunity mm-hmm. to see. What does Greg Berhalter do faced with the same problem again, where yeah. he has ample evidence that what he did last time d- didn't work? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I like that sort of just as a um, almost a, a mental challenge mm-hmm. and a challenge to Greg Berhalter. What have you got? Can, mm. you, can you solve this puzzle? Yes. So that is, that is definitely a possibility that they will go for if they did go with the exact same shape, roughly. Yeah. 4 uh, two, two, 2 Yeah. We would assume that uh, Daniel Henry, who I believe was suspended uh, in the last game, yeah. he'll come center back, back right? in yeah, and start at center back. And then uh, we, we assume Mark Anthony K is good enough to go this time around. So we would say it's going to be K and uh, PT. Piet, right? I, Piet. I did that last time. I yeah, thought yeah. it was PT and it was Piet. Thank you. <laughs> um, uh, Piet, then Arfield and Osorio. Yeah, and then, he's a pair of good players, right? Yeah. We're familiar with Osorio, creative player, good, pretty good mm-hmm. on the dribble, nice pass and move. Jonathan Osorio for Toronto. Um, the, the guy that maybe we didn't know before, but um, I think I did some research on him, mm-hmm. was impressed, and then played really well in the game. Scott Arfield, yep. really precise passer of Captain, the ball. Right? Re- yeah, really useful in central midfield. He, I think he's actually Scottish, but mm-hmm. with Canadian heritage, yeah. plays for Rangers. Um, really good player, worth keeping an eye on. Yeah, so, uh, so I think we could see Canada kind of do that same 11, more or less, and, and it could be effective. I do think from what some of the statements Greg Berhalter was making, I think he expects a sit-deep-and-counterattack Canada for this game. Just why, do you, the, why do you say that? Because he was asked the question about, like, like do you want to make a statement roughly, or like what should we expect from this game? And he, is, he said that like there's always the desire to make a statement in the first 15 minutes. Yeah. The way he said that makes me think that they're definitely be going, going to be going for it in the first 15 in the U.S. Well, again, the question specifically was, mm-hmm. um, what are you going to do in the first 15? Minutes, right, right. So this isn't something Berhalter volunteered. He didn't like identify the first fifteen minutes as something he wants was to he do asked about with. the first fifteen. He was, okay, yeah. I may have missed that. But the key thing to me was the second part. Uh, but we also can't get carried away. Yeah, and I think. That, to me, speaks to we can't overly commit numbers forward knowing that they have Alfonso Davies and Jonathan David who can counter yeah. on us quickly. Yeah. And there's just a few more about like the way they're going to approach this one. It seemed like his game plan is sort of predicated on we're going to have way more of the ball. We're going to have way more possession in their half. This sounds depressingly familiar, though, right? It's an assumption that he made last time. I mean, yeah, yeah we'll see. But maybe he's being a master uh, media manipulator, and uh, in actuality, he's going to change it up at the last second. Well, that's not the evidence so far. Not so much. <laughs> you ready to talk United States? Sure. Um, okay. Um, let's get to the roster first, because mm-hmm. people may not know what the final 23-man roster looks like. Do you mind if we just quickly uh, read through it? Maybe we'll just go back and forth. Um, your goalkeepers um, on the roster are mm-hmm. Nozak Stefan no, um, with his tendonitis, uh, Brad Guzan, Sean Johnson, 
Matt Turner. Um, those, those are your three goalkeepers. Do, yeah. you, want, do you want me to let you know the defenders? Uh, uh, no, I can stall for a moment while I pull up the roster. I'll say this. Uh, I found it very funny, uh, your conversation with Brian Charetta, which was excellent, um, in which you kind of, I think, floated my concern that Zach Steffen wasn't included but then started, and Brian Charetta shut that one down pretty hard. I, sh- I would say from my perspective, I brought this up with uh, Ivis Kalarsep when we were in Seattle, and he equally was like, no, he has tendonitis. Like, yeah, that's I mean, pretty much it. This is the thing, right? <laughs> yeah. A lot of people want to see some mm-hmm. sort of conspiracy in Zach Steffen um, not mm-hmm. not making the roster because or not being included on the roster because of tendonitis, but playing for Dusseldorf yeah. as if it means that he like is rebelling against US soccer mm-hmm. or rebelling against Greg Berhalter. I mean, I think I don't know if it was Brian that made this point on the show, but like Steffen and Berhalter are tight. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Berhalter like brought Stefan back from a failing career in Germany and made yeah. him the player he is today. There's, yeah. there's no way that that is happening. So, yeah, no, I, no I would, more conspiracies. I would agree with that. And then also, like, I think Shredder and Ivis both made the point that, like, no, tendonitis really is a thing where if you, like, ice it for 10 days and stay off of it, yeah. it kind of goes away for a while. Uh-huh. So, okay. Yeah. I, I feel a little bit about All right, that. So, one more time. We're going to go through the 23. Goalkeepers mm. are Brad Guzan, mm-hmm. Sean Johnson, Matt Turner. Defenders, you've got DeAndre Yedlin, yeah. uh, Tam Rehm. I'm just going to mispronounce every single name intentionally. John Brooks, Aaron Long, Daniel Lovitz, Walker Zimmerman, Reggie Cannon, Nick Lima, Serginho Dest. Be afraid, Canada. Be afraid. I mean, Serginho Dest is a big addition mm-hmm. from last time, right? That They've even added the teal day. That's that how much li- of an addition but that he literally is. could be a difference maker in yep. this game. I'm kind of excited about that. Midfielders are Sebastian Legette, Weston McKenney, Alfredo Morales, Christian Roldan. Jackson Yule and Will Trapp. Michael Bradley injured his ankle um, in the MLS Cup final. Um, he is not uh, not available. I would say for Roman Torres injured Michael Bradley's ankle. <laughs> but yes. And then uh, your attacking options would be Jassi Zardes, Jordan Morris, Paul Ariola, Josh Sargent, and Tyler Boyd. No Christian Pulisic because mm-hmm. he injured his hip playing for Chelsea. And again, he did injure his hip. This isn't some Christian Pulisic tantrum mm-hmm. or rebellion. He's injured. He can't play. He it's, cannot. It's really that simple. Uh, and then with the attacking options, worth noting, uh, Josie Altador did play the final few minutes of the of MLS Cup, but obviously did that while playing through injury, which is a thing I think he has done consistently for them. But yeah. then obviously doesn't make sense to really then force him into the same situation with the U.S. I like it. I like not having a half-fit Josie Altador. Yeah. It's the most frustrating thing because you see flashes of what the fully-fit Josie can do, yep. but you don't get the full thing. You so, don't. yeah, it's better to just it is. let him sit this one out. Even yeah. if it's kind of sad. And then, obviously, still no Tyler Adams. We hope that uh, is rectified sooner rather than later. Yeah. But I, I mentioned that just to say that like we're going into this game against Canada – not to lower expectations, but kind of to lower expectations. Like that, that means we are missing Christian Pulisic, Zach Steffen, Michael Bradley, Tyler Adams, Josie Altador. That's potentially five starters right mm-hmm. there that will not be available. Tim Ware, who may have made the 23, mm-hmm. also not available. Yeah, so yeah, there's, it's kind of a mm-hmm. uh, half-strength yes. US team, if you want to think of it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a theory about this game. I, I think this might weirdly be to our benefit. Because okay. um, I think I have come to be a believer in the idea that the way Greg Berhalter likes to play, um, Michael Bradley ends up being a problem in terms yep. of the way we defend. He definitely would have started this game. Mm-hmm. It may be a blessing in disguise that someone else ends up starting um, in defensive midfield yep. for the United States. Because we talked about this when we did our kind of roster preview prediction show uh, mm-hmm. last week, that if you look at the 20 players that were called in for the sort of pre-camp camp, the yep. MLS-based players – my concern there was like you're going to remove some of them obviously to go with the U23s but if you're practicing and practicing all these rhythms and patterns and like progressions and yeah. then Michael Bradley comes in and is like well that's not what I want to do and I'm not as yeah, well yeah. well versed in that so I'm going to do this and my approximation of that mm-hmm. it doesn't quite flow as well and it did feel like a potential problem that they would have to overcome right away and I'd also say the absence of Christian Pulisic obviously that it's not great to lose mm-hmm. easily your best player but there is sometimes an over-reliance on Christian Pulisic's dribbling right and maybe I'll 
Christian will fix it for us. I'm quite interested in the idea of watching this team um, with its like its, its main dribbling threat removed mm-hmm. and see if this possession team uh, steps up its game in the absence of Christian Pulisic. I, I mean, honestly think there might be a sort of Ewing theory type uh, scenario that plays to the US's advantage. It's possible. Berhalter was asked about how do you replace Christian Pulisic and he basically said, uh, I don't think we Didn't can... did he say no one can dribble like Pulisic? Basically. He said there's like basically we have to compensate for his 1v1 dribbling. He added, I don't think there's any... like Most teams in the world can't replace a Christian Pulisic, so it's yeah. not an issue just for us. But his way of dealing with it that he specifically said was physicality and speed. All right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, so that... That's, that's kind of what I said. Maybe I agree with Greg Berhalter. There you go. Yeah, that will not make me popular on Twitter. Um, and then I would also say the addition of Serginho Dest uh-huh. and the return of Alfredo Morales. And John Brooks, I'd say. And John Brooks, yeah. I, I honestly think that could be, that could make a, a huge difference to the way this team plays, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, John Brooks um, is easily our best defender, both with and without the ball, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not if he's sort of isolated and 1v1, but in terms of like just uh, like stepping and winning things in terms of heading things away, and then especially in terms of just possessing the ball, passing out of the back yeah. um, he's a huge asset so Junior Dest I'm just all out excited to have fullbacks on either side if it's Cannon and Dest both getting forward um, if it's the US trying to play their way out of trouble Dest is very good at sort of getting out of tight situations in a way that let's say Daniel Lovitz is not um, and then Alfredo Morales bringing sort of a, the uh, the knock over attitude mm-hmm. uh, to midfield his quote his quote that he uh, Nico Cantor reported um, we have to be ready to kill them yep this is an Alfredo Morales quote uh from this week. Can you imagine someone like Michael Bradley or Will Trapp saying that? No. No. Bit, I can absolutely imagine Alfredo Morales saying it. We yes. met him. He's intense. Exactly. So I, I really like the idea of that intensity coming into yep. the US midfield. Yeah, yeah. as do I. My, uh, of the three you mentioned, strangely, one of the ones that I sort of have more of a concern about is Serginho Dest, just because from what we've seen of him with the US and with Ajax to some extent, he is very good with the ball at his feet. He's very good attacking and making overlapping runs and providing like late-arriving support for the attack. 1v1 defending has not been his specialty, again, for club or country. I don't think it's quite as bad as you're concerned about. It's not his strength, but mm-hmm. I don't think he's like um, a liability. I don't think he's a liability either, but I think against pacey, clever attackers who yeah. can like beat you with speed, but then the next time they might beat you with a bit of skill as you're prepared for the speed, yeah. that does seem like what Alfonso Davies and Jonathan David can do, especially yeah. in a sort of sit-deep-and-then-counter-attack uh-huh. model. So I just worry about the moment when Serginho Des has to, like, track back at full speed and then there's a little bit of scale and suddenly he's maybe overrun the ball or something like that so I say that more so as a thing that I will be keeping an eye on as a thing I look forward to seeing Sergio Dest like lock down that left side which is uh, also where I think he'll play All right, before we get to what we hope is the US starting lineup Mm -hmm. and what we think maybe Berhalter could or realistically could do Mm -hmm. um, in terms of a change of approach compared to what he did in October today's show is sponsored by a returning sponsor, mm-hmm. it's Audible. Audible has the world's largest selection of audiobooks and audio entertainment, including Audible Originals. Can you tell me about Audible Originals? Yeah, so these Audible Originals did not exist back when we, we ran a, a campaign for them, well, it's got to be two or three years ago now, right? Um, Audible Originals are stories created exclusively for audio, including documentaries, exclusive audiobooks, and scripted shows that you can't hear anywhere else. So this is um, Audible essentially creating their own entertainment channel mm-hmm. of exclusive content. Exactly. And then with the convenient Audible app, uh, you can listen anytime, anywhere, and on any device. So that would be mobile, Alexa-enabled devices, Bluetooth, more. So 
you can be like listening uh, on your car ride home via your car speakers. You can put your headphones in once you park and like listen to it continue as you walk <laughs> into the house. And then once you get home, you can put it on the speakers there and continue to listen. You never have to stop you, not seamless. engaging with humanity. Your seamless digital life. Yeah, not engaging with anyone. <laughs> nah, it's overrated. <laughs> so I had a look on Audible to see what sort of sucker content they have. They have all sorts. They have Zonal Marking mm-hmm. by Michael Cox, which is something I've been really interested um, in listening to. I'm 18 pages into it, like the actual physical book. Oh, and you've gone you've gone old school. I have. Yeah. I have. And I think I how very maybe, How very last century of you. I know, right? I might rather have the audiobook read to me. Yeah. I would enjoy that immensely. I also saw How to Watch Soccer mm. by Mr. Rude Hullet. I've always been curious about that because I assume I would agree with this advice, but th- there may be some things in there that we don't do that maybe Rude Hullet could advise me to do. How much MLS do you think is in that conversation? Not a lot. You don't think so? <laughs> Not a lot. I do like that. <laughs> he, probably, he probably just says, the, the rules are too confusing. Don't watch it. <laughs> don't do that. I, I do enjoy uh, Jonathan Wilson has two audiobooks on there, including yes. the classic Inverting the Pyramid. Yes. Uh, I like to think that he and Michael Cox now have an audible audiobook rivalry, <laughs> and they're just going to keep releasing titles on there until one of them reigns supreme. Actually, a lot of people say they, they want to um, consume Inverting the Pyramid, mm-hmm. but they find reading the first few chapters really tough going. Maybe listening to it as an audiobook. My hand is in the air. Yeah, is, is the way to go, yeah. Jo- Jonathan Wilson really approached that book with, like, I'm going to make this really hard yeah. as, like, your <laughs> beginning obstacle. Obstacle that you have to get over. Once you get over that, everything's way easier. But uh, buckle up for some facts. <laughs> so if you sign up for Audible, you can get a 30-day trial, um, and you can choose one audiobook and two Audible originals mm-hmm. absolutely free. Visit audible.com slash TSS or text TSS to 500-500. That's interesting. I've never, I've never downloaded an app uh, that way before. If you right. text TSS to 500-500, it looks like maybe you'll get the app and you'll be signed up for the offer. So one more time, you can choose one audiobook and two Audible originals absolutely free, absolutely included in there because they mean what they say, unlike maybe U.S. soccer. Uh, Visit audible.com slash TSS or text TSS to 500-500. You don't put the dash in your phone. You do. You have to – it's 500 D-A-S-H and then 500. You do not. It's not. It's not. (laughs) No. 500-500. Thank you to Audible for sponsoring today's show, Mm -hmm. even though they knew Taylor would do that. (laughs) Even though they knew. Even though they knew. Uh, Should we continue to talk U.S. potential lineups maybe? Let's do it. Mm -hmm. Okay. What is the um, U.S. lineup and shape that could conceivably happen, Uh knowing what we know about Greg Berhalter, on Friday night – that will make you happiest? Hmm. That's a, that's a really difficult question. Yeah. So Basically, what do we want to see that is within the realms of possibility? So, I mean, I think that that's way more of a limiting thing than maybe you do. Because in my mind, we've seen him do pretty much the same things. We've seen some variation. But my assumption is we'll see something approximating a 4-3-3, which becomes a 4-4-2 defensively. Yeah. Um, so I think within that, I, that's kind of where I am, is like almost a 4-3-3 is the easiest way to explain this. Okay. But I would like to see things like, I'm going to assume it's going to be Paul Ariola and Jordan Morris. One thing that we saw... Ariola on the left, yeah. Morris on the right. Okay. And one thing that we have seen that I thought worked particularly well in certain games for the U.S. national team uh, under Berhalter is one or both of them pushing very high and almost at times being in a 4-2-4, occasionally in a 4-3-3. But I think that helps with some of the like blocking off of options. Oh, we're talking the defensive shape here. Yeah, basically that like I want to see those two start, but I want to see them push a little bit higher up than we've seen in recent games. Okay, Um, I actually Mm -hmm. my preferred. uh, Okay, well maybe we can finish the lineup Mm -hmm. a a little bit later. What I would like is when the US sets up defensively Mm -hmm. to essentially pull back a little bit. Okay, I would like to see uh, either the four four two shape. 
but like really compact and deep. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Just like you're not coming through and we're we're just going to make it really hard for you to come through the middle. Um, or I would like to see an actual shape change to something like a 4-5-1, 4-1-4-1. Sort of like the US women played um, mm-hmm. against Sweden, actually, where you have like literally a, a one defensive midfielder, then a line of four, and then just one striker. Because what I haven't liked is yeah. having the two strikers provide a little bit of pressure in like that mid-defensive block type thing, mm-hmm. but not enough pressure to actually cause trouble, and then really just leaving two central midfielders isolated, and then Canada have too many men, our midfield gets overwhelmed, and Canada play through. If, like Solve yeah. that problem, put more bodies in midfield, 4-1-4-1 gives you three central midfielders yeah. and, a, and a nice, uh, easy-to-understand structure. I'm fine with that. The common ground that I think we can both like occupy is we don't want to see a front two standing 15 yards ahead of a midfield four yeah. with only two central midfielders. Yeah, because not enough men to no. actually win the ball back or even really cause that much. No, trouble. and I would even say, like, we went back and watched the opening 10 minutes or so against uh, Jamaica, which is one that we've talked about previously as being yeah. kind of maybe the, the best. Semi, the Gold Cup semifinal. Yeah. yeah, and even there, those shape problems existed. It was just Jamaica didn't really try to play through the middle. Yes. They were just happy to go long. Well, in that, I think that was one of the games where that 4 4 2 defensive mid block mm-hmm. worked yeah. because what we think the goal of it is is just to deny the opposition any ball. Balls, easy balls into midfield, mm-hmm. um, force them to go long with riskier passes, win the ball back, and then we have the ball, and then we have possession, and then we start building. Mm-hmm. And I honestly think it can work against a team like Jamaica, yep. um, but it doesn't work against decent opposition. And even to the level of, yeah. and admittedly better than, admittedly better than previously mm-hmm. Canada and and above will exploit that that sort of lack of numbers in midfield. Because, I agree. Because They'll find the space and use with it. With Jamaica, there was sort of like the two center backs would drop on either side of Andre Blake, and he would play it to one of them. They'd play it back. He played to the other center back. He'd play it back, and it would go to the third center back or the, the, like, the center back who got the ball initially, and then he would just boot it long. But they were never really under any pressure. There was yeah. never any U.S. player like really forcing them into that long ball. But they never think, had any options for short passes, which is kind of the point, right? Yes, I, but I'm also saying I don't know how much they looked for those. Like I don't like I think a team like Canada. I guess what I'm saying is I don't think you even have to be that next level tier. I think you just have to have the patience to slow down and yeah. wait for one of your players to show in the middle. And uh-huh. I do think with that shape, eventually you'll find space or yeah. somebody open who can then turn and has nobody around them fight for ten yards. Okay, so since we're doing this yeah. as well, the other thing I would like to see, but mm-hmm. I think is completely unrealistic is for the US to go all out and press yeah. right? I would love for the US to have like the front two step and then the midfielders step with them and the wide guys step and the fullbacks are at midfield mm-hmm. and we're just like up on Canada and they can't go anywhere and the reason I don't think we'll do that at all is because in the press conference there it is Bauter like, yeah. literally talked about like he even like talked about how he likes the, he likes the way Liverpool get numbers around the ball I think what he actually said was I know a lot of people like the way Liverpool yeah play. and he essentially said yeah. they get numbers around the ball mm-hmm. but they leave themselves open to, to counter attacks mm-hmm. and that's what we don't want to do right. so we essentially we want to limit the number of times that that happens yeah. so again it's a very cautious defensive approach mm-hmm. he's not willing to go all out and press right no. so if we're hoping for that I, unless it's a massive head fake from Berhalter um, I, that's just not going to happen because it just seems like something where he's not willing to take the risk to press high mm-hmm. yeah? so I think we, we do so why not why not sit deep and absorb some pressure instead I mean it makes honestly it, it's a fair question to ask and it is sort of the confusing thing about US soccer is like your point makes sense because of what Berhalter said but I also sort of disagree with the approach 
because of what Berhalter's done in the past. Like, mm-hmm. it's very confusing. But in my mind, if you're going up against Canada, who, again, as I said, I think Berhalter expects them to be more defensive, to sit back a little bit more and for the U.S. to have more of the ball, but then be forced to create something. He talked in the press conference I about dis- I think I disagree with that, by the way. Well, okay, but that, that's fine. I, I don't think what Berhalter said necessarily means that Canada will sit No, I didn't, I didn't say that either. What I'm saying is my extrapolation of what he said leads me to believe that that's what's going to happen. I'm not saying he came out and said they're going to be defensive and therefore here's my plan. Okay. I'm saying that some of what I read as an example that they've been working on crossing all week. To me, that means we're expecting to get the ball wide and maybe we're going to have to settle for some crosses as opposed to like cutting it back and finding pockets of space to shoot from. Yeah. So I think there's moments like that. And so I would rather see the United States be much more aggressive in their approach. I would rather see them commit numbers further forward and try to put... In terms of defensive pressure? Yeah, I think so. And, yeah. Or just even commit... Num- <laughs> Good luck with that. Though. I want to see, yeah, <laughs> I want to see more numbers committed forward. So like if we're talking about possibilities, as I talked about, Morris like a little bit further forward, Ariolo a little bit further forward to cut off options to the fullbacks. But then I would like to see, say, a right back of Reggie Cannon, a left back of Serginho Dest. I think you might get that. Both of them with the intent of getting involved in the attack. Yeah. And also, obviously, having to get back to deal with some of the counterattacks, but still getting them involved. So part of the Berhalter style of play Mm -hmm. is to create overloads, right? And one of the ways we haven't created overloads is we have not had a left back that got forward. Mm -hmm. If it's Serginho Dest, you have to utilize Serginho Dest and send him forward, right? Mm -hmm. I am looking forward to overloads of Areola. Uh, with Dest like overlapping him, underlapping him, because Dest likes to to underlap as well. I think that can be confusing for Canada. It'll be what Richie Laria mm-hmm. probably. We can maybe we can maybe get at him with Ariola, Ariola's work rate and Serginho yep. Dest's uh, creativity and unpredictability mm-hmm. and willingness to dribble at people. Like he might be the the best dribbler on the team now that Pulisic's uh, not there. Right? Yeah. Okay, so we've got our wide position sorted, mm-hmm. right? We both want Cannon and uh, Dest, and we both want Morris and Ariola. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll talk about Yedlin later because we have a listener question about Yedlin. Sure. We can talk about maybe why we prefer Cannon mm-hmm. to Yedlin. What about central defenders? John Brooks is our left centre back, yeah. I assume. Um, in terms of what I, this is, again, we're going with like what we think is realistic based yeah. on what we've seen from Burhalter. I think it will probably be Aaron Long. Uh, because again, I'm going back with the. Like, if we are going to try to play a little bit higher line, you want somebody who's pacier, who can deal with any sort of vertical speed. That seems to be Aaron Long's game. I should add, the thing I keep forgetting to mention is when he said all they need is a tie, he then said, and that should factor into our game planning. So to me, I think he's approaching it that way. So I think with Aaron Long, though, he gives you some cover for John Brooks to win everything in the air and be sort of physically dominant that way. Mm -hmm. Aaron Long can kind of run in behind and cut anything out that needs to be cut out. Okay, I'm I'm absolutely on board with that then. Okay. Um, let's get to, let's get to striker because I think that's the most interesting one. So that's the only thing I have blank right now. If we've got Ariola and Morris mm-hmm. wide, and then the centre forward is either Giassi Zardes or Josh Sargent. Mm-hmm. Um, I think obviously most people would love to see Josh Sargent because everyone's kind of had enough of seeing Jassy Zardes miss chances. Even though he makes a lot of the correct runs, he misses a lot of chances. Hold up play is not that good. Um, a month ago, this would have been easy. This would have been yeah, Josh mm-hmm. Sargent, hundred percent. He played in the away game against Canada. He was not very good. He was good. not. I genuinely don't know who Greg Berhalter will prefer here. And I know that's going to drive people insane, but it is the honest truth. And I also don't really because begrudge him that. performance in Canada. I mean, he yeah. literally started a counterattack, Josh Sargent, for Canada because he yeah. miscontrolled a ball when he dropped in to hold up play. He controlled it 20 yards away from him and also up in the air so that Canada had time to get underneath it and run right back yeah. at the U.S. goal. Like, if well, you are looking for your forward to drop in and be like a, a hold-up option but then also facilitate attacks, 
he did not do that well enough against Canada to yeah. make me feel like he can definitely do it against Canada this time. And I know I've mentioned this before, but definitely the plan under Berhalter is mm-hmm. the centre forward, say Sargent, comes a little deep with his back to goal, receives the ball, kind of connects play, and then because he's theoretically dragged a centre back with him, Jordan Morris, the right winger, will come inside mm-hmm. and run sort of beyond the striker and hopefully into that space that's being created. That's one of the signature moves of a Berhalter team, right? Mm-hmm. Centre forward comes deep, Morris goes in behind him. Does that, does that constitute a false nine? If it's the number nine, but they drop in and they kind of try no, to pull people just, out of position? No, it's just one move, okay. right? A false nine, I think, is more like you look like you're going to play centre forward, but then you go wandering everywhere. Yeah. But the, the Berhalter centre forward is more sort of from the centre forward position, then deep, then back to the centre gotcha. forward. Like he keeps checking back mm-hmm. home, right? They keep going back to headquarters, mm-hmm. whereas a false nine never goes home. He's a he's a he's a checking number nine, yeah. not a false number nine. A checking gotcha. number nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, who would Taylor Rockwell prefer, given Josh Sargent's performance against Canada, but then also Jesse Sargent's previous performances for the United States? I think I think Josh Sargent is yeah? my answer, okay. and it is because I'm with you too. I think one bad game for a teenager shouldn't be like punished by your yeah. act. And like harsh as it is, because these people are humans, and it's worth remembering that. Like I feel like I know what Giassi's artist is capable of when he has his best performance for the national team. And I feel yeah. like I've seen that. And then I also know what he is capable of when he has his worst performance. I think we've seen Josh, Josh Sargent have a bad performance against Canada. I would like to see him have his best possible performance. And my yeah. hope would be that with more time with Verda Bremen, with more time with the national team in camp, that he has more time to jail, that he, maybe he does come in there and it's not necessarily told, but it's operating under the assumption that like you are a number nine right now until everybody's fit, and then we'll reevaluate. And maybe just with that little bit of confidence, that little bit of backing, maybe we see him perform a little bit sharper, a little bit tighter, a little bit better. Okay. Oh, we both agree, right? After watching uh, the we, – we rewatched a bit of the Jamaica semifinal in the Gold Cup mm-hmm. and the World Cup, World Cup final. Gold Cup final against Mexico. Even a not fully fit Josie Altador mm-hmm. was a massive imp- – improvements yeah. over Zardes yeah. and Sargent. The way he bodies people, holds up the ball, and has like a few nice moves to open up space, he, he is our best striker by a distance. Josie Altador? Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, but I think in terms of the conversation between these two, it always, like you're number nine, you want them to score goals. And I do, at the end of the day, back Josh Sargent if he's in front of goal to put the ball in the back of the net more so than I do Giassi Zardes. Fair so enough. I think that's the other thing. Like We're talking about aspects of the game, yeah. but the core part of what a number nine should be doing, I think Josh Sargent does better. All right, let's move to central Maybe midfield. Maybe I hope he does better, but <laughs> it could be thinking too. <laughs> let's move to central midfield. Mm-hmm. Um, no Michael Bradley. This is tougher. Uh, no Pulisic, who probably mm-hmm. would have been the 10, maybe. Um, your options are Alfredo Morales, Weston McKinney, Sebastian Legette, Christian Roldan, and then you've got Jackson Yule and Will Trapp, who are sort of the Michael Bradley understudies, right? Yeah. So the big question is, do we go with a Michael Bradley understudy mm-hmm. in the Michael Bradley role, or do we just kick that whole thing apart and have a new look midfield? I think that would be surprising if Greg Berhalter did that, because that would be really? sort of blowing up the plan a little bit. Uh, whereas, like, like, essentially, you can't say There's that... There's a like, strong argument for it, though, right? No, I don't think so. Because I think if you've been working towards, like, this is our system, this is how we want to play, this is who can do it right now, but then we've got these two guys who I expect maybe can come in and factor in, maybe Will Trap less so, yeah. but it feels like he, it's Ben Jackson Yule, like, he's the heir apparent unless Tyler Adams is fit. To then be like, well, now that he's got the opportunity, like, no, you're not quite good enough. Like, that changes the the dialogue a little bit for me. Can I make what I think is the strong argument, though? That one of the things that we lacked um, Mm -hmm. against Canada last time out was, like, fight and winning balls in midfield. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would argue that Trapp and Yule, based on my observations of them, are even maybe less effective than Michael Bradley in terms of winning balls. So maybe this would be the game to just say, okay, instead of a a Regista-style passing number six, we go with uh, a rough-and-tough Alfredo Morales instead. I, I, I... 
get your point about uh, Will Trapp. I don't know if I agree with you as much on Jackson Ewell just because I struggle to think of times when I've seen him like not make a challenge or be overwhelmed. Okay, yeah, so I would say I've never seen him – I haven't seen enough of him to mm-hmm. say – that he is a bad defensive midfield player. But I do know that his primary assets are sort of opening up space and Mm -hmm. passing, right? He's not known for his defensive capabilities, which therefore leads me to, I think, correctly assume that that's not a strength that he has, right? I have an absence of evidence that he's good at it Mm -hmm. as opposed to evidence that he's bad at it. But for me, that's enough for him to not start against Canada. So then I'm assuming you have Alfredo Morales as the number six? Yes, I would go number six Alfredo Morales. Then I would go Weston McKenney number eight. And I think Sebastian Leggett number 10. Mm -hmm. Because he's shown, I know he's had a couple of bad moments, but of all the sort of... MLS midfielders, he's shown the most uh, pass and move attacking verve and um, recognition of space and all, all that kind of stuff that I think could be useful the way that Berhalter likes his midfielders to play. So yeah, for me, Morales the 6, McKenney the 8, Leggett the 10. And I've got Ewell the 6, Morales the 8, McKenney the 10. I don't hate that either. Mm-hmm. I, I prefer mine just slightly because of the bit more punch, but I could also see if this is Canada sitting back, then Jackson Ewell on the ball is a guy that could be like finding weird passes between defenders, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, and I take your point because like you're you're putting McKinney in your situation as a number eight, which does allow him to fight more. I guess because then I'm like, well, I, we have the exact same player except you have I have Ewell, you have Legette, and I don't think of either one of them as being particularly like defensively like I'm going to fight for every single right, thing. Right, but if, if Legette's the ten, if we do drop it back into things. that right. four four two, mm-hmm. it's McKinney and Morales yeah. alongside each other, and then even if it becomes like a four one four one, at least it's uh, McKinney and Legette as the first line of midfielders, and then Morales behind them. Okay. I can see where you're coming from, and like, I I'm okay with either one, yeah. except that you are then basically saying there is no reason to call. Not you, Burhalter is saying there's no reason to call Will Trap or Jackson Yule in anymore. Well, horses for courses, right? What do you mean? Like this, if this is a game where it's proven that we lacked fight last time, mm-hmm. so let's put some fight in it this time. It kind of makes sense. I mean, I, yeah, I guess so. But like, are there games we don't need fight? Like, I, I just think that yeah. that's like. In, in the same way that you're being like, why? Well, like, I think you're maybe taking a little bit of his quotes like too seriously. Like, I feel like, yeah, he wants us to have more fight because he was asked, like, what are you going to do to have more fight in the midfield? Yeah. Like, it's the same thing. So to me, it's about he's probably going to have Morales in there to to do some of that fighting. But I just eight. don't know quite where he's going to do it. Yeah. But again, it goes back to if you've been saying this guy is like the new one coming through, and then there's Michael Bradley, and there's maybe Will Trap. Uh-huh. But when the time comes, never mind. It's not either one of them. To me, that's like, okay, so maybe they're not at that level, which is fine. It just means that we probably don't need to see Will Trapp continuously called in from this point on. I mean, maybe if it is, if, if we end up with what I said, Morales mm-hmm. as a six, instead of Yule and Trapp, the Bradley understudies, mm-hmm. it would indicate um, uh, Berhalter's willingness to like step outside of the... Uh, of what he's been trying yeah. so far and a willingness to be flexible and try something a little yeah. bit different. Which, yeah. which, again, is why I'm not saying, like, I do not want what you're saying to happen because I think it also... I think it's likely. Yeah, I, I, fair, that, it's essentially enough. that. But I also think what it would mean is that he had the mini camp trap and you all had their opportunities to show that they could do the role and they basically didn't is the other thing I would take away from that one, that they didn't show they can add the physicality to their game that maybe he wants. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does, cool. yeah. Okay, so that's basically our 4 three, And three, probably Brad Guzan and goal. Okay, I'm very good. Yeah, mm. we assume, right? Yeah. And I'm fine mm-hmm. with that. He's probably not at the level of Zach Steffen, but it's not far off, right? Yeah. I like to think of it as, if you think of like the peak of a goalkeeper's um, abilities are like way up here, mm-hmm. right? Zach Steffen is like going up the mountain and Brad Gazan's just coming down yeah. the mountain and they're probably at like an equal plane, both both a little away from the peak, mm-hmm. but 
but on different sides of the mountain. Yeah, you know yeah, what I'm saying? I'd agree with that. <laughs> so, yeah. so I think we're okay. with yeah. We're in safe hands with Brad Guzan. And I also think from everything we've seen up close and then from everything we've heard, Brad Guzan is a communicator. And he will yell at that back line and he will keep things organized. Yeah. And that might also be a thing the U.S. needs in this game. Okay. So what if Greg Berhalter just wanted to go out and massively frustrate us? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What would his lineup be then? You want it? Yeah. It's probably still Brad Guzan, only because n- none of the goalkeepers really, I think, would... Okay, no one's going to make you irate. Right, yeah. Right? Matt uh-huh. Turner would be interesting, Sean Johnson would be interesting. Uh, okay, it's so Lovett's at left back. It is Lovett's at left it's back. It's DeAndre Yellen at right back for me. Okay. Uh, because we've seen Nick Lima do a variety of things. Oh, yeah, yeah. And some of them have worked and some of them have not, but I feel like he, he would be okay with me. It yeah. would mean that we're doing something interesting, whereas I feel like Yedlin, it would just be like, be fast and get down the wing. Mm. Yedlin was I, horrible against Canada. And I don't even we, mean that... We have a listener question about Yedlin, yeah. so we can get into him later. That's fine. But I just want to say, like, I'm not even saying that it's a criticism of Yedlin. It's just that, like, in terms of the most frustrating 11, it would be like, DeAndre, go play right back, but be really fast down yeah. the wing. That yeah, would yeah. annoy me. All right, who are your, um, centre- your centre-backs? And though Bearhalter is trolling everybody 11. A bad John Brooks performance is Ooh. the best way I can explain it. Because, like, we've waited so long to see John Brooks back and be that kind of dominant center back that if he came in and like scuffed a header and Alfonso Davies ran on and scored that would be fairly frustrating okay mm-hmm. but I'm thinking more of like when he puts the 11 yeah. out like everyone's head explodes like surprise Omar Gonzalez inclusion <laughs> <laughs> yes. no one saw it coming That's what he it was not good in MLS Cup by the way yeah. twice I watched I him pass his, the ball I saw his five minutes at center forward yeah that was something uh, <laughs> twice I saw him pass the ball straight to a Seattle player and launch a counter attack that was not great he's definitely beaten to the ball in one of the Seattle goals as well so not great there either um, in terms of realistic ones it's probably just Aaron Long and uh, uh, Walker Zimmerman would yeah. be the more frustrating center backs, I okay. think, of those two. I think central midfield, the easy option would be, what, trap, Yule, and roll down? Um, it's, it depends on how you do it. Yeah, I guess it's pra- trap, Yule, and roll down, but that's like not as likely. It's MLS-tastic. I, I had it as either <laughs> West McKinney as a number six, because yeah. it, now we're trying him in an entirely new position again for the national yeah. team. Uh, with- See, I wouldn't hate it because it's not trap or Yule. All right. Uh, right. Yeah. But, uh, so I'd be yeah. kind of excited okay. about that experiment. All right. Then, because I had it as either it's Weston McKinney as a six, Roldan as an eight, Legette as a 10, or it's uh, Trap as a six, Weston McKinney as a 10, and then Roldan as the eight. Something <laughs> in there. I think it's Trap as a six, Yule as a six, yeah. and Roldan as a 10. Yeah. There we go. That would be annoying. Uh, and then Corey Baird. Uh, and Corey Baird's back. <laughs> Corey Baird's back, just for that. Uh, Jesse Zardes would be the number nine. That would frustrate the most. And I do think... In terms of the other winger options, it's still Jordan Morris, uh, as unfair as that is, because he has – there are going to be the Euro snobs who say he's not good enough, and there's going to be the Euro snobs who look at Tyler Boyd, who's playing in Europe and playing for Besiktas. He should be in there, and they would look at – well, I guess there's not as many other options uh, for uh, wing play, I guess, aside from Paul Areola, and Paul Areola wouldn't frustrate anybody, I don't think, because he's been a consistent performer. Oh, fair enough, Mm. fair enough. All right, so that's your frustrating 11, which we hope for health doesn't be. even with that frustrating 11, there's Still yeah. like, yeah, maybe it's Weston McKinney's six. Maybe it's Jordan Morris running at people. I'm okay. okay with those. Before we get to these four listener questions mm-hmm. that I have here, um, what's, I have my answer to this. Yeah. What's the one thing like in the first five minutes of the game that you could see that would make you think, okay, Behalter has made the necessary changes here? Do you have your thing? Yeah. Would you mind going first? So yeah, I think um, so I've already mentioned it, mm-hmm. but it would be um, anything different except for the four four two mid-defensive block. Okay. Anything except that would make me happy because it would mean that he's seen that that is not working and is willing to try something else. And I don't, I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's the four one four one or if it's the four four two low block mm-hmm. or just something else other than the four four two mid block. Okay. I actually think we're going to see it because when Behalter talked about how much pressure they were going to put on the ball, he was like, "Oh, you want to find a balance, mm-hmm. and the balance is in the middle." 
And so I think that's what we're going to end up with. But I I'm just crossing my fingers that we see something different. Yeah, I agree with that. And then I think it probably I've is... already had some good news this week. I'm hoping for that. This yeah. will be the icing on the cake. It'll be good. And then I think it's probably the thing that we disagreed on is like who plays number six. That's probably the thing I'll be looking for because if it is somebody who isn't Jackson Ewell or World Trap, but yeah. my assumption is it's Jackson Ewell. If it's not, then I think that does tell us at the very least like, okay, he wanted to see somebody else play that role. Yeah. To me, it means, okay, he's looking for other options there to see what other kinds of uh, player he might have. Okay. So that's probably one. The other just like little questions I have about this one. Is that all right? I was going to say, who's more likely to get their wish? What was yours again? That they wouldn't do the 4-4-2 mid de- mid-block defensive. I think probably you. Yeah, honestly. Okay. Yeah, only because I like. I mean, I think there's a really good chance Jackson Ewell starts. There's a chance he doesn't. I think it's more so that I would expect him to do something to alleviate some of that. So maybe it is like a four-three-three, and like it's a condensed three in the midfield, and then it's three spread wide yeah. or something like that. Yeah, maybe but, that, my thing is maybe more than two central midfielders yeah. would be magnificent. That would be magnificent. I echo that one. It would be mathematically the right thing to do. Again, maybe it's not that I think it will be the most likely one. It's the one that I want to happen the most, (laughs) is us not be completely (laughs) overwhelmed in the middle. Mm -hmm. All right. Are you ready to get to listener questions? Yeah. All right. We have four that were just sort of – I've picked them out because they're sort of specifically related to this game. And if we don't answer them now, then we might never get a chance to answer them. That is true. Uh, First one is from Spencer B. Spencer B asks, um, how could Greg Berhalter work a back five in his current system? And is there any chance – he does that. So the back five, yep. I'm essentially assuming means wing backs, which mm-hmm. would mean Yedlin or Cannon on one side. I actually think it makes side, a lot of sense. And Serginho Dest on the other side. Those guys are not unsuited to playing wing back. No. Right? And I think it's like really, it, it solves some problems in my mind because okay. I think the way it makes sense, I don't know if it's likely, but the way it makes sense to me is uh, Tim Ream comes in, is your left center back. John Brooks in the middle, Aaron Long on the, as your right center back. Okay. You've got some good ball playing there, but you can spread out, and that way you don't have to have your center midfielder drop, so you can keep numbers further up. Yeah, I think it's Serginho Dest as your left wing back, Reggie Cannon as your right wing back, maybe uh-huh. DeAndre Edlin. But then you could just have Weston McKinney and Alfredo Morales as your sort of two more like dedicated like number eight central midfielders maybe and ah, mm, so mm, i can yeah, tell you the way yeah. he's done it mm-hmm. in the past yep in the friendly against jamaica in the build yep. up to the gold cup he played essentially a three four two one right mm-hmm. it was a back three and then it was i think cannon right wing back robinson anthony robinson left wing back and then it was brace yourself Trap and Yule mm-hmm. uh, as the two central midfielders. And then ahead of them, it was Mihailovic and Roldan as two number 10s. And then a striker, I think Zardes, ahead of them. So it's like a 3-4-2-1. But it did create a box midfield. Mm-hmm. So if Behalter was looking to go box midfield to box midfield, we could see a recreation of that. We could. We could. So I would be okay with that. Yeah, so what, hang on. Morales and McKenney as the two... Or maybe Morales and like Yule or Trap as the two sixes, um, and then like Legette and McKenney as the two tens. Yeah, that's, that's possible. possible mm-hmm. right? yeah. yeah, with with I'm assuming Sergeant ahead. Yeah, I mean that would be my choice. Yeah, and then but the other one I wouldn't mind, which doesn't really work as well because it doesn't fit what he's done before, is actually probably maybe you partner Yule with Morales. You've got the kind of two more dedicated central midfielders. That's more similar to what Morales does for uh, Dusseldorf, yeah. or at least in the game we saw. Maybe you play Weston McKinney as your number ten, and then you have Josh Sargent who can like. Come Combined with him, and then you've got Jordan Morris as your other forward who can sort of hang on the last defender, make the runs in behind if they are sort of committed for the field. It's like a 3 five, two, basically. Yeah, basically, yeah. yeah. Five, three, mm-hmm. two. Okay. I'm okay so with that, those, too. Those are possible ways yeah. of doing it. All right, um, all right. Ben Hart asks... And we should, and we should also mention uh, he's only done, what, a back three once, and yeah. it didn't go particularly well. No, we lost to Jamaica. So uh, in terms of the second part of the question, how likely is it? I would say not very. All right. Oh, let's see if you're wrong Friday night. Uh, ben Hart. Mm-hmm. Ben Hart asks... 
What are the unique skills that DeAndre Yedlin brings to the US men's national team? Ben says, I saw recently that he has no goals in his 50-something caps. I know he's fast, so he should be able to get to the end line, but that advantage is negated by his poor crossing. Mm-hmm. His defending is reportedly not as much an asset as what he offers going forward. So, but however, with no goals and poor crossing, what does he really offer? Um, I'm going to assume the answer to that is at least partially hard work. Like I, yeah. and and it goes to like my idea of like the he's brought over by Tottenham, then he goes to Newcastle, he stays with Newcastle, he's still there. There are the arguments that it's like oh they just don't want to spend money, so he maybe wouldn't be starting for them. But in my mind, it's a player that Rafa Benitez liked and incorporated and utilized. And Rafa Benitez is a very smart manager, even if there were times when I would not have said that publicly. Yeah. And so I think it probably means he worked hard and he listened well. And he at least tried very hard to do what his coach asked of him. Yeah. And I think that probably factors into Greg Berhalter's thinking of he's got a player who will adjust what he needs to do based on what he's being asked to do. And mm-hmm. is probably more capable than some of actually adjusting and like going with what the coach is asking him to do. Fair enough. Does that make sense? Yes, uh, but we both... It's the second time I've had to say, does that make sense in this show? We both uh, mm-hmm. decided that we would like, we would prefer to see Reggie Cannon, mm-hmm. MLS right-back, start ahead of DeAndre Yedlin, Premier League right-back mm-hmm. in this game. And it doesn't even feel controversial. No. And I can't quite put my finger on why that is. I definitely think it, but I can't fully explain it. I think because, in my mind, DeAndre Yedlin works best as a surprise option. Like, look at his goal this past weekend where he's kind of darting in at the back post to head home. Yeah. But even, like, for Newcastle, I think of him being most effective as, like, bombing forward and then crossing it into somebody. It's that, like, like dribbling very aggressively and then crossing very aggressively and seeing if someone's there. Yeah. With the way the U.S. have been, and even if they are working on crossing more, my assumption is that's still a, like, diagonal out wide, ball drop back to the right, like, to the fullback who plays it centrally, who plays it back, and then it's a cross in, and it's less of a, like, smash and cross sort of situation. Is Ben being too harsh uh, by just referencing Yedlin's poor crossing as if it's a fact? Um, I don't think so, because I feel like we've been frustrated by his delivery yeah. from the wing in the past. I have. Uh, and, I've, and then, I've seen examples of good mm-hmm. crosses, but then there's always one rogue one that like, yeah. just goes beyond everybody and out for a throw in the other mm-hmm. side. Yeah. yeah. And I, and I it's think, not consistent crossing, put it that way. No, it's not. He's not and, David Beckham. He's not. And then his unique skills, I do think speed is a skill. And yeah. the reality is... And how you use it is a skill. Right. And if you are trying to catch up it's on a breakaway... what you do with it that counts. It is. And if what you're doing with it on a breakaway is catching up and slowing that player down so that they then have to like cut back, you've stopped that attack. Yeah. If you're over-pursuing and getting cut on and then conceding a penalty or yeah. uh, just being completely taken out of the equation then it's less of a skill. I will say also Yedlin's a competitor, mm-hmm. right? Every time I've seen him, ever since he was a kid, he's someone who will yeah. absolutely hustle. Mm-hmm. And not, not just in terms of like being fast and running back, but then like bodying someone. He's really like ready to go to war. You know yeah. what I mean? He's that kind of character. Mm-hmm. So I kind of like him in a team uh, for that reason. But I still think Reggie Cannon offers more. Yeah. yeah. And I think Greg Berhalter probably agrees. We'll find out on Friday night. We will. Uh, next question. Luke Campbell. Is there a team out there that is using the system Berhalter is trying to implement so we can know what the U.S. men's national team should look like? All right. Um, I will answer this, but my answer will be I, I don't know. I really don't. Okay. We thought about this. I don't think – I can't really think of a team that is sort of playing a four four two, but not pressing – but not really being compact either and still allowing space between the lines without anybody really working to cut that out. I struggle to think of a team that does that. So I can name you like Manchester City mm-hmm. are doing with the ball right. what Behelter wants the US men's mm-hmm. national team to do with the ball, yeah. right? which is to move the ball around, um, have like certain positional switches and patterns of play that open up space that right. players can then exploit. Right? You don't so, go long unless it's a thing where the other team has committed everybody forward because yeah. you're not going long and then you have an opportunity. Yeah, yeah I mean, that all makes sense. Yeah, yeah but... When Manchester City don't have the ball, mm-hmm. 
they come after you, they yep. press, and they win the ball high. I would say I kind of agree with you and with Luke that there is no team in the world that plays the possession style where you like uh, spread everything out, mm-hmm. and then this weird. Uh, not too aggressive, not too defensive. Four four two mid block right. successfully. Yeah. Um, the only the example we came up with was maybe Leicester City when they won the Premier League played a sort of mid block four four two, but it was a bit tighter. Yep. Right. It was like Renieri had everybody within I think like thirty meters. Like yeah. The the defensive line was quite high, even though the uh, centre forwards weren't that high. But then when they won the ball back, they would go pretty fast pretty direct right mm-hmm. like Mark Albrighton would play a diagonal ball for Jamie Vardy to run onto right so they did the very different thing when they got the ball back yeah so I couldn't name you a team that does what we do on both sides of the no the, yeah. and then the only other one that I can think of oh that, USA against Cuba that's the team that USA wants to look like yes that is definitely <laughs> the team um, I think maybe like there's an idea that Atletico do something kind of similar but I that's really it's really just well I guess this season is different because they're trying to play prettier soccer but I think in the past it was it was 4-4-2 defensively yeah. it was just very defensive very well organized and also that midfield four was pretty tight together yeah. and kind of moved from left to right together as opposed to we don't do that being either. more spread out yeah. so yeah I think it's basically I'm just saying they defended in a 4-4-2 like it essentially, it's essentially goes back to this thing that that 4-4-2 mid block is just kind of a bad idea because yeah. it's not committing to one thing or the other right mm. it's trying to have the best of both worlds and getting neither yeah, yeah. And, and I should add like I'm sure I'm sure Bobby Warshaw is tearing his hair out saying, well, this team obviously do that. There are probably teams out there who try this system. Yeah. Uh, I don't think Greg Berhalter is creating a whole idea from nothing. I just struggle to think of teams that are very successful yeah. that utilize this style. Or maybe when it is successful, it looks different. Yeah, you know that's I mean? also... It's that just, we're doing it unsuccessfully, so we can't tell the successful version. It's also a sad reality probability, yes. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, Kaz Tidrick. Mm-hmm. Um, setting aside injuries, club situations, current standing with the national team, etc. Mm-hmm. who would be your ideal current starting eleven for the US? All right, I think I've got an answer here. Okay. Weirdly, I'm going 4-4-2 diamond, and I okay. think it's definitely reactionary in response to us never having enough numbers in the middle. I want all the numbers in the middle. <laughs> um, but it's Serginho Dest and I think Reggie Cannon as my two right backs right now. All right. It is John Brooks, healthy and strong and unbeatable, and uh-huh. Matt Miazga. Uh, because I like tall people doing tall things. It's Zach Steffen in goal. I really like Zach Steffen. I really liked what he did for Dusseldorf when we saw him. He uh, made a, a key save in the first half. I think when it was still nil-nil, it might have been one-nil at that point. But he's very good coming off his line, so I like Zach Steffen. And then my, my midfield diamond, my number six is Tyler Adams. My two number eights are Weston McKinney and... Alfredo Morales. No, get out of here. Dwayne Octavius Holmes. Oh, okay. That's my number eight that I want in there. Shuttling, working hard, and helping kind of play vertically into the feet of my number 10, Christian Pulisic, with Jordan Morris and Josie Altidore as my two strikers. So your width is coming from your fullbacks? Basically. Yeah, what What could go wrong? When both get forward, do you have like a midfielder drop into like former back three? Or is it just you leave two center backs and just say, best of luck, fellas? It's a new world, baby. <laughs> best of luck. So this is a thing Bauta would definitely be scared to do. Oh, yeah. yeah. A thousand percent. And rightfully so. <laughs> like there are definitely problems here. I think it's just I like the idea of Adams, McKenney, Pulisic. Yeah. But then I think you end up with a lot of the same issues because I think our attack is pretty weak at this point. Our attacking pool is fairly weak. And so I run into that conundrum of like, then it's a lot of the same guys who I haven't necessarily loved or don't inspire that much hope and confidence. Okay. I mean, I still think a 4-3-3 could Mm -hmm. work. Um, I like like a midfield three of essentially McKenney, Adams. So Adams is the holding midfielder, Mm -hmm. uh, McKenney, and it could be could be Holmes, mm-hmm. uh, it could be Morales, like any, basically any three that is combative. Because mm-hmm. I, I would want my team to sort of play, um, win the ball high and play in transition. So right? what? Are, That's why I like that that combo. Do you like the idea of like? It would have been Jonathan Gonzalez. Yeah, 
that's yeah. My fair. dream, my dream team of the future was always Jonathan Gonzalez, mm-hmm. Tyler Adams, and Weston yep. McKenney in a three-man yep. midfield. That yeah. makes sense. And then I'm assuming it was Christian Pulisic wide, which yeah. is where I would rather see him as well. Mm-hmm. Did I leave Pulisic? Oh no, I put him as my number ten. That's good. Yeah. Um, so maybe, maybe, do you like the idea of what if it was like Tyler Adams as a six, and then we had like Weston McKinney and Dwayne Holmes, or or uh, Weston McKinney and Alfredo Morales as like your two eights, and we put. Pulisic out wide on the left, Josie out there in the middle, and somebody else on the right. Yeah. Does that do it for you? That would work for me, yeah. All right. I mean, and on the right, I'd, at this point, just for excitement, I'd go Tim Ware. Okay. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, that's fine with me. Yeah. Okay. I can see either one of those. I'm good with either one. Um, or maybe Dwayne Holmes on the right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He can do that too, can he? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We want Dwayne Octavius Holmes in this in this team, <laughs> is I guess what we're getting at here. There we go. So that's what our ideal 11 would look like. Anything else to say on this game? I feel like we've sort of... Uh, We've meandered all over the place, but in a good way, trying to cover as, as much ground as possible. Is there anything like you are looking to see or you're scared of seeing or any predictions for how this game goes? Uh, my, my biggest questions I have going into it, uh, is it Zardes or Sargent? I think yep. that will tell us something. And then I think who becomes the number 10? Is it Weston McKinney? Is it Sebastian Legette? Is it somebody else? Or do we do something else entirely? Yep. That will be another big question that I w- I'm going to try to figure out as quickly as I can. All right. And I guess the question we both hit on is uh, what type of number six do we play? Yep. Is it a registry type, a Michael mm-hmm. Bradley understudy? Like, Yule or Trap, or is it a Morales, or even a McKenney, or just someone, someone very, very different? Yes. Um, one thing we didn't touch on for me mm-hmm. is: is it possible that like maybe Yedlin or Dest or someone like that gets pushed into the attack and plays as one of the wingers? I think that would tie in with: um, is it going to be Dest at left back, or is it Tim Ream who becomes like the left centre back, and we yeah. kind of do that again? In which case, it probably does lend itself to maybe Sergio Dest being utilised as more of an attacker. Yeah, that's something I think that you and I would like to see. I don't know if we've heard Greg Berhalter really indicate that that was a likely possibility. I think he was asked about that with Sergio Dest. He was asked about where Dest would play. He was asked a lot of specific things that he, got... He him. was very specifically yeah. asked where would Dest play, and he just basically listed all of Sergio Dest's qualities mm-hmm. and then nodded yep. and then waited for the next question. Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. It wasn't really an answer. Mm-mm. Not so much. <laughs> it was an answer to the question, what are Sergio Dest attributes? But <laughs> yes. that was not the question. <laughs> it was not. It was not. <laughs> so maybe, yeah, then who starts at left back is another question. So I've got four, four burning questions heading into this USA-Canada game. Okay. And then just generally, how are we feeling? Uh, like, I am very, very concerned that the experiment that I'm willing to see through was showing signs of going wrong mm-hmm. because of the last Canada game. To me, in terms of how I feel about Greg Berhalter... This game is massive, right? For me, he like this is a really good opportunity to show that you're a good coach and that you can fix problems. And there's every opportunity to do it here. If he somehow fails to do it and we get a terrible performance from the US, um, I I won't be like out in the streets like chanting "Better Hell to Out." Mm-hmm. I think there are more important things in the world, to be <laughs> yeah. honest. Um, I think you I, should though, because you will definitely be arrested for being a crazy person. Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't know if Richmond police are going to be all over that one. Capital police would not know what I was talking about. No. But he's not even a delegate. <laughs> 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 but for me, this this would be the thing that sours me on the Greg Bayhalter experiment mm-hmm. is if it doesn't go if he doesn't fix things here against Canada. Yeah. So what does fix things look like to you though? It, um, it just means a better performance, basically, right? A better performance against Canada. Yeah. I would even take the four four two mid block defensive style mm-hmm. if it does what it's supposed to do. And Canada can't play into midfield and have to go long, and we get the ball back. Like if it works, right? If there's a version of it that works. I would feel like, okay, maybe they're just slowly tweaking this and getting better at it. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I do. I just, I, I think I am of a lot of uh, emotions right now when it comes to the national team. And yeah. I think that. You're not the only one. Yeah, true. But like, like, 
I don't love that idea because to me it doesn't necessarily make me feel like, oh, okay, they've figured it out now and they're going to lock it down. Like I think we'll be able to tell if it's like, oh, they've really got this locked up and Canada cannot play through. But I also worry that it's like, what if it's a Jamaica game where they're just like, no, nah, we'll just go long. It's fine. We don't want the ball. We want you to have the ball and we'll sit deep and defend. Then we're not really testing that. And so I don't know if that really solves any questions for me. So yeah. I think really what I'm feeling is like, optimistic but also scared but also frustrated and also nervous yeah. is about where I am with things I, it may be just because I've had good news mm-hmm. and I'm like I, th- I think I generally tend towards optimism um, I've, I'm, I am cautiously optimistic that we see a pretty good US performance Friday night and mm-hmm. it's the beginning of a turnaround both in terms of the team's performance and how the public feels about the US men's national team okay yeah I, I don't think I'm as willing to go with you on that one because I yeah. think unless it's like a 5 I'm not saying this is a fact. I'm just saying yeah. I'm cautiously optimistic that okay. this happens. Right? Right. And I think in a weird way, like, like I mentioned at the top-ish of the show, like Bradley's absence and weirdly Pulisic's absence mm-hmm. might might have opened the door to um, uh, a different type of performance that may actually work out. Okay. Yeah. I, I think my, my uh, the, the best answer I can give you, the most honest answer I can give you, is I want a game in which you and I come away having lots of stuff to talk about, yeah. most of it positive. Yeah. That like, I, I, don't, I can't say, like, oh, I want the 442 to work in this certain way, but to be like, okay, we saw how, like, this was a synchronized movement of this player goes here, he went there. We saw that work yeah. and we saw that, like, nullify this threat. I would like to be able to spot key things that we felt like were progress and signs of this team mm-hmm. coming together more than we've seen so far. What about some in-game problem solving from Greg Berhalter? That would also I would be nice. like Whatever Kanda throw out, I would like to see a Berhalter, like, half-time or 60th-minute change that solves a problem. Uh, that Canada have presented him with. Because honestly, I don't think we've ever no. seen that from Berhalter for the U.S. men's national team. No, and yeah. and I would flip it around. I'm saying this really without thinking. Um, have we seen a Berhalter team like come back? Have we seen them fight back and it's like nil-nil, but they find a way to win in the 75th minute in a game that kind of mattered? Like I feel like it's usually they start fast, the mm-hmm. other team adjusts, and then the U.S. is trying to figure it you out. Just hold there. on to see if they can get over the line. Kind of. Yeah. And so I would like the U.S., yeah, maybe maybe if it is nil-nil in the second half, we see some adjustments that make it be 2-0 at the final, yeah. and we feel a little bit better about like, okay, so there's still some flexibility, some ability to adapt on the fly as yep. opposed to we're sticking with the system, and plan B is do plan A better. <laughs> That I want a plan B that's actually a plan B. There we yeah, go. Yeah, or like a plan A1. That'd be A2, fine, too. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, Taylor Rockwell, mm-hmm. thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Right back at you, buddy. Listeners, thank you for listening. One more time, the game is Friday night. The listed kickoff time is 7 p.m. Eastern. It's going to be a bit later than that. I would assume so. It's on ESPN2. It's on Univision. It's on Unimas. Um, watch it on one of those. All the Unis. We'll be back Friday night to talk about this game no matter what happens. Oh, boy. 